Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to Frontier Faith. This is a podcast where it's okay not to know, not to know what you believe, why you believe it, or even where you're going in your faith journey. It's just important to know that you are with others who are exploring, others who are asking questions and trying to figure things out, or just asking questions and sitting with them. My name is Nathan Whitaker. And I'm Ryan Harris. And today we're going to be continuing our conversation from last week. And we're going to talk about Halloween, evil, the devil, hell, all that kind of stuff. And this part of it, we kind of do it a bit more freely, spontaneously. This whole conversation has been spontaneous. We've actually planned this one out the least out of all the other ones. So if you have feedback, please let us know. Uh, But this one, we're kind of asking some questions of each other, and we really hope that you enjoy it. Uh, But without further ado, here is part two. At some point along the way in my story, I just discovered that for whatever reason, people keep on being shitty in the same ways to one another. Mm -hmm. And the excuses and justification they have are remarkable. Like people will say that they're doing it because they won't ever say the devil made me do it. But, um, theologically what they would say is I'm, I'm just a sinner. Right. Right. So therefore it's no big deal. (laughs) Yeah. And I thought to myself at some point, and this is where I kind of lean towards Calvin more than Luther. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, isn't there a possibility that you can be transformed? Isn't there a possibility that you can move away from that? I mean, I struggle with some of the very same things I struggled with as a teenager. So I get, you know, it's this weird thing of how you are still beholden and enmeshed in ways of living and ways of doing things. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you have the same sense. I mean, there are 95 year olds that lie through their teeth just as there are six year olds, right? Mm -hmm. That's never going to change. However, with uh, certain things that are, even with lying, we can reduce that. We can limit that. We can transform it. Can't we into a place where we're not, uh, let's say uncritically doing it. Like hmm. we're always just, you, you've met those people. I'm sure I'll use liars as an example. Those people that just can't help, but lie. I mean, right. I mean probably a better example is gossip. Cause that's in church all the time. It does seem to come as naturally as breathing to some. Yeah. People. Yeah. And you meet those people and you're like, Oh, <laughs> Uh, could we just not? (laughs) Yeah. Could we not? Uh, for me, I'm kind of sad for them now. I don't want to sound like pedantic to them, but but it's, yeah, it's like you're trapped in this world where all you can do is gossip. And anyway, so the closest I get to this thing is why do we need sin in that sense? The way that we're talking about it, it to justify something when we can just say, yeah, i I messed up. I can't do that. And I need to get better because Jesus, blah, blah, blah. Because so many of us, well, all of us in some ways struggled to admit. Yeah. I did this thing that was in some cases evil, not just bad. Right. Right. I did an evil thing to hurt somebody because I'm selfish. Usually that's how it, you know, I was scared for myself or I was greedy or whatever it is, you know, insecure. 
And I think yeah. this, I, all of this kind of stuff lets me get away from having to take responsibility for my own shitty actions. And we all struggle to accept responsibility for what we do sometimes. Some people seem incapable of ever accepting responsibility for the bad things that they do. I mean, there, you know, there's a path, a pathology that can happen there too. But yeah, I right. think even for those of us who aren't narcissistic pathological liars, we still really struggle to accept that we can hurt people just because we're selfish, you know? And I, yeah. I mean, I don't like that either. <laughs> I wish I were not, but when I have lied or when I have done something unkind to someone, it's usually because it somehow, whether I planned it out or not, it usually somehow helped me in some way, or at least that was the illusion that it gave. You know, I tore yeah. someone else down because then I felt more secure right. or I right. lied to get out of trouble or whatever it is, you know. Um, and so I think that's involved in this kind of stuff, too. So we can say, ah, the devil, ah, demons or, um, oh, it's just sin. We all sin, you know, whatever it is, because, well, yeah, we do all sin. <laughs> yeah. <And it's> terrible. <laughs> right. So that's like, that's that interesting thing that comes up again. I don't know what to say about it or how to say it, but it's like we have this way of doing, talking about sin that is supposed to be, or, you know, talking about the devil, that's supposed to be very personal. And yet by the end of it, it becomes totally impersonal because it's not about me. It's about the devil or yeah, something close or evil or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, really quite fascinating, isn't it? It is. I, I, uh, I'm sure there are papers, many, many papers written on this kind of stuff. But it, you know, I, I'm not a psychologist, so I can't tell you all the motivations behind this kind of stuff. But it does make a lot of sense that these kind of things, whether true or not, we perceive them to help us in some way. These beliefs, these actions, these yeah, right um, systems. The whole system we've created is a way for coping with things we can't cope with, you know? Um, so let me ask you this. Why, why do you think we can't cope with, and, and it's going towards philosophy a little bit, but why do you think we can't cope with our own terribleness? Why do we need evil? It's a different question than the problem of evil. Yeah. Why do we need evil? Why do we need the devil? When it comes to our own morality, our own right. life. I think there's a lot of layers there that I probably don't know all of. <laughs> because I mean, on the one hand, in the system I came from, you could start with, well, it's in the Bible, you know, but I've kind of tried to stay away from that kind of stuff anymore. <laughs> and I mean, the way to just use that as a way to not actually talk about the problem. Um, yeah, and it's a different question altogether because I mean, then you're talking about objectivity and why do you need well, objectivity? And and not to mention, which even in the way they look at it, it's a somewhat of a tenuous case. But right, um, right. I think, could it be as simple as we can't accept that we are that evil? <laughs> like, don't we all like to think of ourselves as good? Um, and I'm not saying none of us are good or never do good things. But I, I think we all like to think of ourselves as, well, I don't do evil things. I might mess up. I might even sin. I might have done an evil thing, but I'm not, I'm not evil, right? Um, 
I think so. Like, uh, I'm going to answer your question with with just observation that's not about evil, but it's still true. Like, Christians can't imagine being wrong. Like, they can't do it. Um, I I was called to this congregation that I'm a part of to help revitalize it, and it's, it's terribly stuck in an old model of doing church. It's in this seeker friendly type approach with, you know, puts on the best kind of programs, the best worship and hopes that people come. And what I've had to work on for the last three years, and it'll be five years by the time I just get done talking about it all together is, um, that, that, that way of doing church may have worked, but it's wrong for us now. Hmm. Um, we can't do church that way because the way that that were, or the people that that works for are other Christians. <laughs> mm-hmm. Other Christians are perfectly happy going to where there are better programs, better worship. Um, people who are not part of the Christian faith have no interest in being at better. They, they have no, they have no understanding, right. That or no desire to understand right. what qualifies as better anyway. Um, but you know, it's, it's interesting too, because both of our traditions, even though they come at it from a different direction, maybe are based on, at least when it comes to sin, the, the centrality of repentance, right? I know. And right? repentance is about taking responsibility, admitting what you've done, that it was wrong, that you've uh, aggrieved God, that you've hurt some, whatever it is. And yet, even though we come from this area of, I admit that I'm a sinner, I did all these things, they're terrible. I can't admit that I'm a sinner and I did all these things that are terrible. I always go to Exodus 20. Is it 20 or 22? It's one of those uh, chapters where Moses comes down from uh, the mountain with the Ten Commandments and sees the golden calf. Uh And this is like the hardest thing, one of the hardest things to convince Christians of. And it's it's a simple, and it's hard for me to really get to because it requires heavy introspection and reflection. But Here's the remarkable thing about the Israelites at that time, or Hebrews at that time. They didn't think they were doing anything wrong. No. They didn't think anything was going on that they shouldn't have been doing. Well, and what they were doing in the world and the culture at the time made a lot of sense. Yeah. And Moses comes down and God gets mad and on and on and on. We don't have to go into that. But the reality is, is that if we needed people to point out our sins because they're so obvious to us and we all agree what is sinful or idolatrous or blah, 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 then we would have no need for pastors. We would have no need for um, co-Christians altogether who can point out this stuff to us. But the reality is, is that we're all, this is Luther, we're all worshiping a golden calf and we don't know it. And I think that that, has to be part of this that you were just saying repentance is recognizing where we're worshiping the golden calf. Mm -hmm. That's just a metaphor. Um, and we're very uncomfortable doing that because that means giving things up that we don't want to. It means recognizing that we are bad. It recognizes that uh, we don't have a handle on our sin, I think is a big one. Well, and the, and those of us who aren't, you know, psychopaths or, um, sociopaths, we don't want, we don't like it that we hurt right. people, right? We feel remorse and guilt for those things. Right. Um, unless you're, you know, suffer from one of those other things. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, for sure. So the devil's handy because, at least is what I'm hearing, the devil's handy because 
he can take away some of that burden by just throwing it on him. Uh, yeah, well, yes, but I think, uh, yeah, I think so. But I think, I don't think many people, well, maybe somebody, but I don't remember people saying it as a way to, like, no. therefore what I did was okay, right? No. But I do think it lets you, it lets you put a lot of the, uh, the, uh, not the impetus. What's the word I'm looking for? It lets you change some of the focus off of yourself. Yeah, right. right? Um, and that I think, well, we all do that. I mean, even as a kid, what do, what do, you know, if your kids get in trouble, how often do they blame the other one? Oh, all the time. Exactly. Because, you know, that's that's just what we do as humans. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. Interesting. So, okay. I don't know if this is where you want to go, but I'm going to ask a question. Um. Can we can we live a Christian life without that? Without the devil? Uh well, let's say without that need, without that desire, without that uh drive at least hmm. to put something on the devil. Like is there a possibility that we don't need the devil that way? Or do we need is it it seems like we need some kind of external something, right? To put whatever this is on other than right. ourselves. Evil, Are you asking, can devil. we do without that? Whatever that is, maybe that's yeah. the devil or whatever. Right. What hmm. do you think? I don't know because one, I think it's just kind of inimical to human nature. You know, we, we just, we, we do that so naturally. Um, what about our systems though? Do our yeah. systems need that? Well, I'm trying to think, and let's just talk this out here. Yeah. Jesus did talk about Satan. And I don't mean that to say, therefore, Satan is real. But I just mean, like, Jesus did talk about it. But did Jesus use it in the way that we're talking about? Or did Jesus use it some other way? And I feel like I don't think Jesus used it as a way to um, say, like, uh, you know, now we can explain evil away, right? Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, did, you know, how did, how did Jesus look at this issue, this kind of idea? Or, or are we looking for something that may not be there because Jesus didn't spend time thinking of it this way? I don't know. Well, where, where there, the two places that I can think of where the devil's mentioned in the New Testament is, of course, the temptation of Christ in mm -hmm. the desert. He tells the Pharisees that they are children of Satan. Okay. And, and then John, we, I think. we have uh, Satan entering Judas. Uh-huh. And I think Jesus says something in, I think it's Luke. Get I behind don't remember. me, Satan. Right? Well, but, and, and Jesus says something about remembering Satan falling from heaven, but he doesn't oh, yeah. elaborate on what That's that Luke, means. That's Luke, right? I think Is it's that Luke. the 72? Yeah. But like, so in those, there may be more, I don't know. But in those cases, like he says, get behind me, Satan. Okay. But. That's like the heart. That's the hardest one to personify the devil. That's well, the I hardest so. one. Yeah, because. <laughs> because Peter's not literally the Satan, Satan, nor is he possessed by the text. Right. So. And yet there's something about the, the, what he's saying there that is working against what God is doing. Yeah. So it's more like a metaphor for 
evil. I mean, I'm not a an exegetical scholar. Me either. So I'm not and sure. I, I'm not trying to say we have to go through every example. I just I wonder. You know, it seems like if we're Christians and we're asking, do we need this in this way? Well, <laughs> not that Jesus will doesn't ask all the questions we ask in the way that we ask. But I wonder. I was just wondering, is there something in there that might help us think about it and how he treats this idea? It seems like. Yeah. When Jesus calls out wrong behavior, he doesn't, most of the time, doesn't seem to focus on something other than the person doing the wrong thing, whether that's the Pharisees or um, whoever it is. Uh, yeah, right. You know? You're right. He doesn't. And I always get weird with applying Jesus's conversation with the devil in the wilderness to our lives because Jesus is so unique. <laughs> I, we're I've, not Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I've never had a temptation like that, you know, where it's clearly set apart as a different thing than normal temptation. Not to mention the way that's functioning in Christ's, uh, in the Messiah right. narrative, right? Like, right. Yeah. We don't have that. <laughs> so that's probably the strongest case I think somebody might have, like uh, the the devil's tempting Jesus. So same way he tempts us away. Um, but it's also really hard for me to to get there with that text. Yeah, and I think you know we're asking, can we do this without something to blame evil on? And I think maybe it's hard because Jesus never did anything evil, <laughs> right? So he's not. Yeah. We're not going to see examples of whether he did this or not. Um, except, like I said, when confronted with evil, Jesus seems to focus on the person or people doing the evil and not something else. Unless, like you said, when he says, you know, your father, the devil. Um, but even there, the devil's not the point. The point is what, what they they're are doing. doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's... <sighs> Do we need the devil as a scapegoat for our sins, for evil in this world? I think if I were to answer that question, I would say, let's first recognize what that means. That means something highly uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And it means what we talked about with Hannah Arendt. It means that evil is banal. It means that evil can happen from anybody to anybody. It means that there will be times where God doesn't seem to be in control. Mm -hmm. There will It will mean that, I mean, in the light of our conversation, that we have to take full responsibility for what we do. Um, what else will it mean? Hmm. Well, it means we might have to change some pretty fundamental things about how we deal with this kind of stuff and, mm -hmm. you know, the effects of evil. So when we find evil in the world, what do we do? Yeah. How is yeah. it different if it's not? I mean, honestly, whether it is coming from some kind of Satan or not, does it matter? <laughs> in the, yeah, in the right. sense that what do we do regardless? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Well, it sparks in my mind, like, so uh, this happens every once in a while when there's a natural disaster, right? Right. We say uh, some people, we don't, but some people will say, you know, that's Satan and so forth. And to me, that's like, I, I'm saying this not out of the blue. It just supports what you said. It, it gets away from, 
you know, we don't have to go down to New Orleans to help with Katrina because right. well, these things are going to happen. Yeah, the devil's right. going to devil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if, like, what's happening inside of us. A lot of this stuff that we talk about is not stuff we. It requires some time to really think about it. And that's mm-hmm. why I love it because you know. Only nine people have listened to the philosophy podcast, <laughs> but I love that kind of stuff because you're like, I got to drill a little deeper and actually think about this stuff. Hmm. Um, maybe what's happening at the core is that we have to make a decision or let's say differently that if the devil doesn't operate the way that he does in the grand narrative way of thinking about stuff, it actually yeah yeah it actually calls us to live fully committed to god's kingdom i wonder about that like so if satan isn't doing the stuff that he's doing in the way that we think he is doing it then we have to commit ourselves to those who are being hurt by the evil in this world by the other people ourselves (laughs) ourselves we have to actually fully commit to this way of life instead of thinking we're these small peons in this grand story between good and evil and we know the end result is that jesus is going to rise from the dead bring us all from the dead because he's risen from the dead and so we just kind of wait type thing but i wonder if it's something deeper like that that's also that's also like that's pretty rough on the people who didn't make it for whatever reason yeah, right. You know, doesn't seem like a grand cosmic victory to the millions or however many people, you know. Well, and that's what we talked about in the philosophy podcast. It, these questions should insist upon us. They mm-hmm. should they should be stuff that we bring up all the time. So what about the people who haven't heard about Jesus, for instance? Mm-hmm. Or what about the reality that all Christians, because I'm the same way, all Christians don't live fully invested in the way of Jesus. Well, other than Jesus, I don't think anybody has can. Yeah, but that's you know that's you know that's just another way to get away from. No, that I question. no, I was agree. I was agreeing with you, right? Like I, I'm, yeah, I don't think any of us have done that. Yeah, and so we need to have that question insist instead of trying to find an answer and say, well, you know, because we're sinners and Satan right. made me do it or whatever. Maybe, maybe we need to take a hundred steps back because, <laughs> you know, like you said, we're, we're looking at it on this macrocosmic scale and maybe we need to look at it more on a, uh, not necessarily just an individual, but more on the micro scale of, you know, maybe individual, but maybe the group that I'm in and the place where I'm at, like, <clears throat> what do I do? do when confronted with evil, whether it's mine or whether it's an external source of evil of some kind, Yeah, you know, like, and if it's mine, I mean, I think in some ways that's the hardest to deal with. And in some ways it should be much easier, right? Because if I do something evil as much as is possible, I can try to make it right. Right. I can repent. I can ask forgiveness. I can try to restore things. I can whatever. Um, but like we talked about, it's also really hard to do that because, you know, we are, <laughs> we're all the way that we are. 
Yeah. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I wonder if just stepping back a bit or a lot and, you know, like, it's not that there's no cosmic dimension to evil. Like I said, I don't even know if there is a devil or not, but maybe it doesn't matter in the sense of where are we right now and how can we confront evil when we see it? Yeah. I mean, I does to... does the cancer patient care what caused the cancer when they're being operated on? <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. I don't know. I haven't had cancer. Me either, so. but yeah. I, I thought something that sparked in my mind, it's coming up a lot right now um, in, in political conversations, but it's actually appropriate because we've been talking about the Holocaust here and there. But Martin Niemöller was a Lutheran pastor, um, and he emerged as an outspoken public figure against Adolf Hitler and spent the last seven years in concentration camps. And he is known for a very famous phrase that I think captures some of this, probably in a very dramatic way, but it does highlight it. And when I start it, you'll know it. The quote goes like this. First, they came for the socialists, and I didn't right. speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the unionists, and I didn't speak out because I was not a unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. And the last line, of course, changes it. But for our conversation, what happens if we speak out when they come for the socialists? Like or, maybe that's part of what's going on is we, and of course the unionists and the Jews right. too, but insert group here, whoever right. it is. Yeah. Because there, there's a lot of ways to legitimize evil in this world. That's the problem of its banality, right? We don't know that it's evil. No one's uh, hardly anyone's going around and saying explicitly evil stuff. Yes, there are those people there. <laughs> I mean, there aren't many Lex Luthers in real life other than maybe right. Jeff Bezos, but um, <laughs> it's yeah. Yeah. Like uh, so, so if that's not, if that, since that's true, since it's true that most people are not going out and, and being that way and evil is banal, then Maybe what it's calling us to do is to speak out, as Niemöller said, or to, um, you know, fully commit, as what I was saying, get to know our neighbors, get to know um, who the people are in our schools so that when we see things happening that on the individual level and the systematic level, but in the individual level, when somebody is being oppressed, somebody is being um, a jerk or being the subject of uh, an asshole that's being awful to them, then we have to actually speak speak up. We have mm -hmm. to stand up and do something about it. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, I was thinking, or as you were talking, it made me think of, I wonder, you know, in some ways we treat this like, oh, well, having something to blame evil on other than ourselves gives us a lot of comfort. Right. But it also really makes it so like we were talking about, you're in this grand cosmic struggle and what can I really do that makes a difference? But I feel like if you look at it the way we're talking about now of, um, you know, taking responsibility for our own stuff and what can I do when I'm there and whoever I'm with, that I think gives us a lot more ability to actually fight against evil than yeah. the other view, doesn't it? Because like, does. can I solve evil in the world? No. 
can I look for ways to bring justice and healing and restoration right. in the place that I'm at with the people I'm with? Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. You know? So in some ways, I think it brings a lot of hope because it not evil isn't just banal. It's also like so like uh, I don't know what the word I want is, but like not just systemic, but like menacing and, and like everywhere. And, and it's almost futile to even think about doing anything about yeah, it. Yeah, right. And yet, if we look at it more this other way, it's well, how can God show like God will show me how I can, you know, resist evil in wherever I'm at. And that I think gives me a lot more hope. Yeah, I think so. I think it not only gives us hope, but it gives us power, which is a good Holy Spirit word, yeah, right? It gives right. us power to actually change this world, change the lives of people who are hurting, people who are oppressed, people who, and that's everyone, of course, to degrees. There, I'm less oppressed than a good majority of people in this world, but we have this ability to do something rather than to say, oh, it's just the way it is. It's just a narrative. And right. There we go. Right. It, it doesn't, the other way doesn't actually let us off the hook. Like we think it does, even though we no. don't think of it that way, but I'm just saying like, it's not actually helping us out. It just lets us put the uncomfortable, awful, terrible stuff in a box where we don't have to think about it as much. Yeah, it makes me also think about not only will it help us in our fight in evil in this world, we haven't talked much about this, but I think it will also help us be better <laughs> proclaimers of the gospel. Yeah. Because if this narrative that we're grappling with ends in its final conclusion, then people who go to hell, we're, we're kind of sad about, but you know, come on, let's be honest. Most of us don't really care. As long as we don't. As long as we don't. But, and that's because I think, let me flesh that out a little bit. I think that's because uh, the best best construction, we put that in God's hands. Um, but the full, and I think that's more of an excuse. Yeah. Because it's more like there's this story and the chips are going to fall where they fall. And, you know so-and-so deserved it anyway because he's such a jerk or she's such a whatever, you know. There's all that, but it's also, like, <laughs> I think that if we let that narrative play out and we see this, we see this right now. We've seen it forever in the American church. The American church has thrived because of cultural Christianity. Now we're starting to have to actually be real Christians. Uh, let me say that differently. I don't know. I kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> now we have to live more fully dedicated to how Jesus talks, how he commands us to live, how he encourages us to live. And we don't have this huge crutch that we can lean on, that there's this social pressure to be part of the church. And because of that, we can't depend on a narrative that scares people into the kingdom of heaven. We actually have to go out and live life with people and show them that Christ does in fact love them, that he takes care of them, that he uh, died for them, and so on and so forth. And I think that you know, it kind of takes away the power from hell too, in a really interesting way. Yeah. Which is a good thing, <laughs> right? That's what yeah. we want. Right. You know, 
Um, I've yeah. often asked, I said that phrase and I noticed you, you, uh, you re- uh, reacted to it, but you've heard me say this before and I'll just say it for our podcast people. Um, how often do we actually convert people because they see who Jesus really is and his love for them? <laughs> or do we often commute, communicate and convert people because they're just afraid of going to hell? Right. We use fear or shame or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think it's probably the latter more often than not. Yeah. Yeah. I Yes. <laughs> I agree. Huh. So where does that leave us then? I mean, I'm not saying there we've now, you know, here's the answer to evil and You're sin welcome, and the everyone. devil. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're going to get this published <laughs> and we have solved yeah. evil. No, I think, but I think that's what we're saying is like trying to solve evil in the sense of evil as a force is the wrong yes. way to do it. I think so. Say more about that. Cause well, I have my opinion, but you say more. And I'm just, you know, this is just off as yeah. we're talking here, but it, maybe it's like, you don't solve evil, you confront it where you are, right? You fight yeah. it where you are, you struggle against it, yes. But, you know, if you if you approach evil, every if you approach every instance of evil, whether it's yours or someone else's, with how do we uh, make sure that evil is defeated and vanquished? Well, isn't that just a way you can dehumanize the, <laughs> the people who have been affected by evil? Yeah. Not on purpose. I don't think people intentionally do that. Right. I don't think I think it's just something we naturally do. And and so that's that's what I think we need to resist of like um, how we don't want to in our struggle against evil. We don't want to miss the people whom evil is affecting. That's right. Yeah, I think we've done that a lot. I think we've we've used it as a way to just not because we can't deal with it or we don't know what to do or we don't know how to struggle against evil or we don't know how to. And okay, but like we can admit that and go from there. But I don't think we can do that anymore of like, well, evil sin and the devil, we're always going to have evil. People are going to sin. The devil's the devil. So we'll just go to church and it'll be okay. You know, we can't do that anymore because one, whatever Jesus did about this, like we were talking about, one thing Jesus didn't do was he, he always confronted evil. Yeah. You know, he did. He confronted evil where yeah. he's at. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it, what this looks like is probably to put it in the phrase that I use a lot is being comfortable with the uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. being comfortable with the uncomfortable when it comes to evil, when it comes to all of that and say, maybe the best course of action here is not answering a question that we've been trained to answer. And we really want to answer because it's so uncomfortable. Um, And then once we rest in that, or as we rest in that discomfort, we confront what we know is wrong mm-hmm. and we stand up for other people. We stand with other people. We admit and repent and try to make right when we do evil. Yeah. You know, whether that's on an individual basis or a group basis or a whatever it may be. I mean, 
for all the uh, all the deconstruction I've been doing and all the things I've changed, some of my mind or beliefs about or whatever, one thing I think the world I came from gets right is how how much repentance is not just important and central, but how it can really change things, how it can bring healing, you know? And so in that respect, we need to do it more, right? Because (laughs) it's not just, it's not just what we need. We need to repent, not just because we think God is mad at us if we don't, right? We need to repent because that's the first step in actually bringing restoration or healing to whatever it is, you know? Um, Yeah. I've been saying, Repentance is not, this is Lutheran language, repentance is not a justification thing. It's a sanctification thing. It's not a thing in our relationship with God because he's taking care of that. It's our a thing in our relationship with other people. Mm. And the reason why we have to repent, yes, it's connected to God. I get that. But the reason every single time he at, Jesus asks people to repent and Paul and so forth is because there are broken relationships. Mm-hmm. There are people who are hurting. And that is how you change that is swallowing the pride, swallowing the pain, swallowing the fear. And well, it's not doing that because that's actually not, I don't think that's right. It's taking that fear, that pain, that pride with you and laying at the feet of the other person and saying, I'm sorry, this is who I am. This is why I did this. I will strive to do better. You can help me understand how to do better. Um, Please forgive me and help me. Right. Yeah, as as whatever the situation is. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't want to say it's as easy as that, but (laughs) maybe it's as simple as that. Simple, It's not easy. None of this is easy. And I certainly don't succeed at it all the time, Um, you know, but yeah, I think it's, it might be more simple. It might be simpler than we were, have been making it. So I'm going to do something here. I'm curious, maybe we can wrap this into, to the end of the podcast, but we started with Halloween. (laughs) Um, I think we can do it. It might take some thinking, but. How can we celebrate Halloween with this in mind? Like, is there a way, I won't say to redeem Halloween, because I don't know if it necessarily needs to be redeemed, uh, because there's a whole lot of history we didn't talk about, right? Culturally speaking, there's like the Day of the Dead, and there's some stuff there that's really cool, how it's become American, but more, more for our conversation here, is there a way that we can celebrate Halloween with this in mind, without having to be afraid of the devil, with moving towards, uh, away from a grand narrative of good versus evil? I don't know. What do you think? You know, I, I think, honestly, I don't, I don't think it really matters what you do or how you do for October 31st, right? As long as you're not literally worshiping Satan, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I think, uh, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think, I think that kind of stuff is another, not what you, but I think Halloween itself is an example of what we're talking about of like, we focus on that and we miss the important part of what's actually going on there, you know? Um, not in the holiday itself, but I mean, in, in our own selves. Um, 
why are we reacting whatever way we're reacting to this, you know, and examining that. And, and yeah. you know, if, if someone doesn't celebrate Halloween because they're worried about someone drugging candy they give to their kids, well, okay. So that's going to be a different thing to talk about than I think if I do, I'm going to hell for worshiping Satan. Right. You know, right. I, so I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question, but I think, I think that Halloween can really be whatever you want it to be. I mean, just like any holiday could, right? I mean, we talk about Christmas. Is it about Jesus or is it about commercialism and presence? Well, that kind of depends on the <laughs> on the person and the society and all that, you know? Well, I um, think about it because we talked about scary movies. I can't watch scary movies anymore. I'm a wimp. I can't do it anymore. I used to. Um, I just can't do it anymore. So what always fascinates me is when people are able to, and I always ask why, you know, this, uh, as my friend and everyone listening knows, I ask why all the time and for them, and when they get philosophical, they will say it's because it awakens something within me that helps me understand myself more. Hmm. Um, that, you know, there's something about what am I afraid of? Why do I jump at certain jump scares or why do certain psychological thriller horror stuff get to me and others? There's like, I wonder if Halloween can be that way too. And I think I brought up uh, the day of the dead for a reason, because what I love about that cultural uh, ritual is it takes something that's supposed to be scary mm-hmm. And helps people understand it's part of life. Right. Right. It takes death and says, not only is this part of life, but life is bigger than death. And, you know, there's the supernatural element to that, uh, especially as Catholics got involved with that uh, tradition, that ritual more. And so you've got eternal life as part of that. But even before that, and for some people, it's just life in general. Life is bigger than death. So bring death along with you. Live with that. And I wonder if we could do the same thing with fear instead of, well, fear, Satan, all that kind of stuff. What if we took our demons with us as we celebrated Halloween instead of trying to hide from them, rebuke them, and so on and so forth? Maybe that's what we could do with Halloween. Maybe that's too philosophical, too preachy, but I'm just, I don't know. That's kind of where I am with it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's, I think for me, it's let's take some steps back. And and when we have any kind of reaction or fear, or, you know, we, we have some kind of strong concern about whether it's Halloween or whatever, like let's stop and and examine what's really going on there. Um, Because I think this is probably something that all humans do, but we're focusing on Christians in America. (laughs) I think we, don't often examine what's really going on in how we act and react to people, the culture, whatever it is we want to talk about. And I think we should really cut that shit out. (laughs) I mean, I think, I think we need to, I mean, as much as possible, examine our hearts and figure out, you know, what am I really afraid of, you know, or uh, what do I still need to know? Or what is it that, you know, that those kind of questions, the introspection that seems to be largely missing from most of our lives, whether individually or as a group in this case, I think, but I think that kind of introspection is the kind that 
that we're all supposed to do about anything. And I think if we did, not only would it help us be less reactionary just in general, <laughs> but I think it would help us and learn about ourselves. But I don't know. There's something about slowing down, you know, take yeah. like, hold on, <laughs> let's just, just wait, you know, however you react to something viscerally, there's something there. So yeah. what is it? And I think maybe that will help us um, be less likely to do something without thinking that ends up hurting somebody. Yeah. I like that. I think Halloween gives us one of those opportunities, as you said, because it is such a, it's a unique experience. Right. Um, it is a unique day. There's not a lot of days in our world like that or in our calendar year. There's not a lot like that. And I don't, I don't know, but I it. don't think, I mean, it's a pretty uh, North American thing, isn't it? I don't think they do it in Europe and, and like Asia and stuff the way yeah, that, I don't think so. Yeah. No. So, I mean, there's a lot to, to examine there too, right? Like why? Has it yeah, been yeah. that way here and not others? But anyway, yeah, I think but maybe- for us, we can use that holiday as a as a way to access that because of the uh, what do I want to say? The aura, the energy, mm-hmm. the whatever of that day is kind of unique um, if you tap into it, if you right. get into it. And what? And just maybe, and maybe this is where we can say for this week is just the question of what can God teach us from that kind of examination? Because who's going to help us do that? I mean, it's not, I'm not, neither you nor I are saying through introspection, we can figure out all of our own motivations for everything because we can't, right? I'm not, we can't. I don't believe in that, but we can do better than we are. (laughs) Sometimes we can figure it out, you know, and even if we can't figure it out, it can help us know what to do next, you know, or what information we need to do or what we still need to learn or whatever it is. And honestly, I think it's just another place where we say, like we did with evil, like slow down, you know, yeah, don't miss. <laughs> we miss the forest for the trees so often. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, this was fun. Uh, Ryan and I, we just, started to think about uh, the rest of this year and what we're celebrating together as Americans and Christians and Halloween seemed appropriate to talk about. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was something that was helpful for you. And we actually do genuinely want your feedback. Let us know what you're thinking about Halloween. Let us know what uh, you're coming up with. Are you using Halloween as a way to think about things? Are you enjoying the holiday? Are you letting it pass you by? Um, We really want to know. So email us at FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you're thinking about, what you're going through, what what the holiday means for you. And if you want to, give us some ideas of what to talk about, of what interests you, and uh, what's going on in your faith journey. We would really love to hear your story and how maybe even we're impacting that or helping you as you journey with our uh, with our savior and our lord as always know that it's okay not to know not to know where you're going in your faith journey not to know what you believe or why you believe it we are journeying with you we are walking beside you just as our lord walks beside all of us and uh you know 
as we were talking about here, maybe it's just about slowing down, enjoying that journey, taking time with it, and seeing what God does with it. <laughs>